Great to see everyone on this Good Friday. We've got uh, at least 250 uh, unique folks viewing online. We know that some are viewing uh, from work. As Pastor Brian was saying earlier, we know that we have a family driving to Texas. Uh, I hope that the driver is not holding the phone as we're going over this. Uh, we have a lot of moms at home with little ones, moms and dads, and, uh, and what an honor it is for so many times that we come together and open God's word when one of us is preaching uh, we might use the word, the cross of Jesus. It may be interchangeable with the resurrection. We may be talking about the whole, uh, everything that happened on this Easter weekend. But today we take a little bit of a different moment and to just reflect on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So if you are tuning in or if you're here in the room, I want you to know this is a little bit different uh, for us, but this is an important moment for us as followers of Jesus to look particularly at the suffering that Jesus went through for us on this Friday. On this Friday, all those many years ago, at this point, the sky would have gone completely dark and Jesus would still be hanging there on that cross as the events of the next few moments would unfold. I asked the guys to, and gals to lead us in that song a few moments ago Pastor Brian and I and Ruth, our global missions director, and Kevin Dunlap, who oversees all of our church planting and multiplication, uh, we were actually in Scotland a few weeks ago praying with the folks who would be the team that uh, would be launching a new church plant that's actually launching this weekend that we are investing in as a church. And we're so excited. I want you to be praying for them as they launch out. And we're praying that God does some great, great things. He's been doing some great things in preparation for today, uh, but we're praying that this weekend they'll go even further. And it was in that prayer gathering that a guy stood up with a guitar and very simply began to lead us in how deep the Father's love for us and there are so many great lines in that song that bring today into focus. The song uh, sounds like it's been around for three or 400 years, a great old hymn of the faith. It was actually written in 1995 and meant to, made to sound like an old hymn. And I, I love that so much. But some of the lines of the song just gripped me. And ever since that day, several weeks ago at Dalhousie Castle, where we were praying together, several of them just continue to ring into my ears. It says... It was my sin that held him there. His dying breath has brought me life and his wounds have paid my ransom. That's good news on this Good Friday. But what I heard several weeks ago, and forgive me if I get emotional today, the line that rings in my ear is to make a wretch his treasure. I don't know what it is, but at 41, I hope I've still got a ways to go. But the older I get, the more wretched I understand my sin to be. But he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. We refer to this as Good Friday. My 12-year-old even asked me this morning on the way to school, he said, Dad, why is this called Good Friday? Well, as far as the etymology goes and the history goes, this used to be called Holy Friday. And the word good used to refer to things that, that are holy. And good has taken on new meaning over the years. Good still means positive. Uh, still, sometimes it just means that, that things are okay. But truly, Holy Friday is probably more appropriate 
but we are regarding the idea that something good happened on this day. I'm sure it didn't feel good to the mother of Christ or to the disciples of Jesus on that Friday so long ago, but today on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that on that day, something good happened for every single person on the planet. But the further that we get away from something, the more numb to it we can become. And if we're not careful, our understanding of it can be hazy. And so over praying over this day and now being, have, having walked with Christ for more than two decades, I asked God if he would just refresh this in my heart, if he would just refresh the cross for me today in the hopes that maybe I can do that for those of you in this room and those of you who are watching and worshiping alongside of us. And so I just want to take a few moments to ask the question today about the cross. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? And why did it have to be like this? Why the cross? The Apostle Paul brings this into clarity in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this is a deep, rich, theological passage. Martin Luther would say later on that he spent weeks, even months, just reflecting on these verses. And so I want, if you would allow me today to just kind of go through this section by section, even in some cases, word by word. And if we could do about eight minutes of theology today, because that's about all I can take, uh, then we will continue to move into this Good Friday. But I hope in our little eight minute theology lesson today that the cross would become clearer in our view, that we'd have a greater understanding of why Jesus had to suffer and die the way that he did. Up to this point in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul has built the case that everyone deserves to fall under the judgment of a holy God. Jews and Gentiles, those who have tried to keep the Jewish law, those who haven't, those people who have committed sins that some would say are worthy of death and some who would say that the sins that they have committed would be considered as far less, just little things. Paul has to do this because to his audience, the Jewish people in Rome, as far back as Leviticus 4, they have been giving different types of sacrifices for different kinds of sins. In fact, in Leviticus 4 alone, there's four different categories, sins that are intentional, sins that are unintentional, sins that are committed by people who are trying to follow God and sins of others. And he builds his case and then gives this conclusion that truly among all of these people and among all of these sins, there is no difference. Whether it be big sins or little sins, everyone is guilty and everyone has fallen short of the glory of a holy God. But then in verse 25, the apostle Paul has a problem because he says, because God in his divine forbearance, 
He has passed over former sins. So Paul is telling us that before the cross of Jesus Christ, sin had gone unpunished. King David talks about this in Psalm 103 when he says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repays us according to our iniquities. There's a problem here because a righteous God cannot allow sin to go unpunished or then he is no longer righteous. If sin goes unpunished, then his glory is tarnished. In order for him to be just, every sin has to be accounted for and paid for, whether it be great or small. But the good news for the problem that the apostle Paul has is that the cross of Jesus Christ solves the problem. Paul says that just as all have sinned, now all have been justified. The word justified, some of you have heard the word justification is a legal term. It means that everyone who was once guilty, and that would be all of us, is now declared not guilty. It means that the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ has been applied to our sin. How? By grace, he says. It's completely undeserved. And the most frustrating thing about grace is that we cannot earn it. Paul calls it a gift in Romans 3. I don't know if you have ever been frustrated by grace, but I have been. Because I feel like there needs to be something that I should have to do. There should be an obstacle course somewhere. There should be something somewhere that I should have to journey to try to earn enough points on my side to help pay the price for my sin. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, the most frustrating thing about it is that there is nothing I can do because Jesus has paid it all. It's a gift. I had the opportunity for a few years to in, invest my life and others on our staff, Pastor Brent Moxie did as well. We got to invest our lives in a, a young man in our community. His name was Jared Hicks. And Jared was a Taekwondo instructor and he was killed tragically a few years ago with his fiance, uh, within a car with his fiance in a, and they were in a car accident. But Jared was an incredible young man, one of the sharpest young Christian leaders I've ever been around. Jared was raised in a very legalistic environment. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Rules-based environment. And Jared was frustrated by grace. And I'll never forget, we had lunch together at Mellow Mushroom in Hiram. And he expressed to me his frustration with the sins of other people. And I'm smiling because I have to tell you, they were the little things. They, and they just he just could not get past it. And so I said, hey, let's, let's read a book together. And so we did, it was a book that I had already read. So in truth, I kind of skimmed it while he read it. I gave him the, the hard work. And he called me one day, he said, hey, I just finished the book and I have an idea, Taekwondo instructor. And in Taekwondo, I don't know if, if you've ever been in that, if your kids have ever been in that, I have not been, my kids were, learning from him at the time. And there were all these rules and regulations before you could get to the next belt. You had to have so many classes. You had to understand so many things. You had to have your form down. You had to have so many things accomplished. It, it was one of the most strenuous processes that I have 
ever witnessed or been a part of. And Jared said, I have an idea. You know, I do these belt tests every so often so kids can come and get their next test, get their next belt. They can move from one color to the next. I said, yeah, I know about that. He said, what if I just gave them all away? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I'm not gonna give a a white belt a black belt. He said, but what if I just invite everyone one day to come and to receive for nothing? He used to always charge us for this, by the way, for our kids to come get the next belt, to take the test. He said, what if we just come and I don't take any money and you preach and we give the belts away? I said, that's amazing. I started crying on the phone because I knew how hard my kids were working to get these belts. And I thought, man, oh man, seriously, you're just gonna give them all away. And sure enough, I preached a gospel message on the grace of God. And one by one, he started calling names and giving the next level, promoting all these kids. Can I tell you what the number one reaction was that Jared got that day from parents? Oh, thank you so much for doing this for my kids. This was such a great illustration. You just saved me $50 or $100, depending on what belt it was, how high the kids were going. You know, the number one response that he got from parents that day, absolute frustration. Are you kidding me? You cannot just grant someone this status. This is not fair. There is no way that grace can be this easy. Grace sometimes is frustrating, but because Jesus has paid it all, every single one of us have the opportunity to be called sons and daughters of God. The gift of justification, being made not guilty for your sins, for your sin nature is made possible for every single person because of the price that Jesus paid. Paul calls that price redemption. To redeem someone is to pay for it, to offer or to offer a substitute. Sin has a cost. The wages of sin is death. But against the righteousness of God, that cost cannot be paid for by any of us because we are unrighteous. But a righteous Savior could come and pay the cost in full. And surely Jesus paid it all. He paid for the little sins and the big sins. He paid for the little white lies and the bold-faced ones. He paid for every foul thought or word or action. Jesus paid it all on the cross that day by shedding his blood. I have a motivation for this brief theology lesson today. And it's a really practical application because I run into so many people in the church and outside the church who have weighed their own sin and come to the conclusion that somehow God cannot forgive them. They know they're not good enough. And so do I. I understand the intimidation of approaching a holy God. I understand the feeling of unworthiness, but understand what the apostle Paul has just unfolded for us. The smallest of errors and the darkest of sins are all made level at the foot of the cross. 
Pastors and priests stand on the same ground as terrorists and dictators at the foot of the cross. There is no distinction. And because there's no distinction, there should not be one for us as Christ followers in how we treat others. We should not be known for our judgment of those outside of the faith. We should be known for our frustrating grace. In order to satisfy the righteousness of God, nothing would go unpunished and everyone would be covered under the blood of Jesus. Paul says the death of Jesus was put forward as a propitiation. Pastor Brian and I were joking about that word and hoping that I wouldn't mess it up before we got out here. But it's a powerful thing. The propitiation that's offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? The word carries with it this idea of appeasement or satisfaction. And this is really important because the violence that accompanied the death of Jesus was a necessary part of satisfying the wrath of God. Why did it have to be so awful? Because the wrath of God had to be appeased, but truly it was the love of God in sending Jesus that satisfied the wrath of God. The love of God was the only thing that could satisfy the wrath of God. The Hebrew equivalent for this Greek word that's used for a propitiation is actually used to describe the mercy seat in the Old Testament, also the place of atonement. The mercy seat is the cover that is on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And there's angels on either side of it. And, and one day, once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And he would sprinkle the blood of a young bull on the mercy seat as part of the ritual of asking for God's forgiveness for all the sins of the people. And as God is giving Moses his instructions for how they're to sacrifice on the mercy seat, I love the promise that comes with this place of atonement, this place of being made at one again with God. Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, there's a promise with the mercy seat. God says there, I will meet you. God used to meet in the Old Testament. He used to meet with the high priest, one person at the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And today no one even knows where that is. But the shed blood of Jesus now becomes that place of atonement, satisfying the price for sin once and for all. The apostle Paul is telling us that today the cross is the place where God wants to meet you. Today, the cross is the place where every person on the planet has been called not guilty by the price that Jesus paid. Today, the cross is the place where you can be made one with God again. And because we know on this side of the cross and resurrection that the work was accomplished, we can call this a Good Friday. So as we do every year on this day, I wanna take just a few moments and reflect on some of the events that happened on the cross that day. It'll just be a few moments. And whether you're in the room or at home or wherever you may be today. If you wanna close your eyes for a few moments, you can do that, whatever it takes for you. You don't have to. Whatever it takes for you to visualize this as a follower of Jesus, I want you to take just a moment to truly meditate and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. 
The day is counted as beginning with sundown in the Jewish mindset. So truly Friday began for us yesterday at sundown. And it begins with Jesus sharing a Passover with his disciples in a room in the upper part of Jerusalem. He then walked out across to the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And there he and his disciples, the scriptures say, they sang a hymn together, I assume a Psalm from the Old Testament. They worshiped together. On their way back down the mountain into the valley, they stopped in a walled garden that had an olive press inside. Those are called Gethsemanes. And in the garden of Gethsemane, which means a place of pressing, he would pray the most powerful prayer of surrender any of us can pray. Mark 14, 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And now the most powerful prayer any of us can pray. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The scriptures tell us that Jesus sweat drops of blood in the garden. Physicians tell us that the condition is called hematotridosis. It comes when you have such anxiety that a chemical is released that breaks down the capillaries in your sweat glands. The primary other thing that happens to your body in this condition is that your skin becomes very, very sensitive and very fragile, which would certainly play a role in the things that would happen in the next few hours. He was betrayed with a kiss by one of his followers that he had allowed to follow close to him. He's turned over to religious leaders and overnight is found guilty in a trial complete with phony testimony and trumped up charges, but that wasn't enough. The Jewish leaders would take him to the Roman governor to have him condemned to be put to death by the crucifixion. But before then, and seemingly for sport, that anxiety-induced extra-sensitive skin would be brutally whipped by a Roman cat of nine tails. Most people, especially non-Roman citizens, would be killed during this kind of punishment because there was no limit to how many times you could whip a non-Roman citizen. Yet Jesus survives it and he keeps going. A crown of thorns is beaten into his head. He's mocked by the soldiers and a robe is placed on him as part of that mockery before it's ripped off. A cross beam is placed on him and he's forced to carry it on an inclined street called the Via Dolorosa. It means the way of suffering until he can't do it anymore and the soldiers are forced to get him help. He's led beyond the gates just outside the city and nailed with Roman spikes through his wrists and feet. And emerging out of our wrists, out of his, out of yours and mine is a large nerve that would have been pierced so that as long as the nail was through that nerve, he would have been in constant excruciating nerve pain. And trying to push himself up to breathe against those nails, he would have slowly been strangling himself. You see, the Roman cross was as much about torture as it was execution. And perhaps the worst part of it all is that while he is hanging there, a different kind of anguish is heaped on him. As all of our sins are heaped on him, his father, his dad, has to look away. Matthew 27 tells us that about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani 
that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Left alone, betrayed, denied by his closest friends, fake charges, mockery, torture, abandoned by his father. Yet his words on the cross are filled with forgiveness and pardon and love all the way up to and including his last breath. It's recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 45. It says the curtain of the temple where that mercy seat would have been was torn in two. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. John, who was standing nearby the cross, heard one other phrase he records in John 19, verse 30. It is finished. Finished. If you've had your eyes closed over the last few moments, look at me for just a moment. It's finished. It's finished. Paid in full. The wrath of God was satisfied so that you and I could be justified. The wrath of God was satisfied so that stamped over your life and mine are the words, not guilty. And if it's for every sin, great and small, and all have sinned, then all of us can look at the cross and say, yes, it was my sin that held him there. Yes, it was to make a wretch his treasure, but hallelujah, his wounds have paid my ransom. And by his stripes, we're healed today. Isaiah tells us, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are made whole again by the death of Jesus Christ. We are brought into relationship with God once again by the death of Jesus Christ. He took the punishment and he made us whole. And today, the opportunity for every single person in this room and beyond, for every single person on the planet, is whether you understand your, understand your sin to be great or small, whether you feel the most unworthy of everyone in the room, whether you feel like you have been in a part of the darkest of things and in the darkest of places, it matters not today because the wrath of God has been satisfied by the love of God. Satisfied on the cross. Why did he have to die? (laughs) Why did he have to die? Because God loved you. How deep the Father's love for us. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer like that, but have everlasting life. To be able to take hold of a life that's truly life, to have a life 
to the full. I love how Eugene Peterson summarizes one of our favorite passages in Ephesians chapter three. He says this, my response, what is our response today? My response is to get down on my knees before the father. This magnificent father who parcels out all heaven and earth. And I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. And that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath Test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. The cross of Jesus is for you today. The blood of Jesus is for you today. Believer, be encouraged by that today. Be refreshed by that today. Let the cross come in clear view today that because he loves you, he died for you. For sin's great, for sin's small. And if you're not a believer in Jesus today, can I tell you, the message is the same for you. It's all level at the foot of the cross. And the opportunity for you today is an invitation to receive by faith that God sent his son so that you may not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads with me today? Believer in Jesus, in this room, at home, in the workplace, wherever you are today in the car. Would you take just a moment again and thank him for the cross? I love the song that says, the cross meant to kill is my victory. Jesus paid it all. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I think you might would agree with me because it's true of me that there are things that you have done that you should not have, that you have made mistakes, that you have fallen short of the glory of a holy God. And if you know that to be true about yourself, then don't stay there. But understand that because of that, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on this cross for you. And if you would receive that by faith, if you would repent and turn to God, I hope that your mind has been changed today about why Jesus died. If you don't know him, I hope that you understand it was for you and that you need to receive this in order to have that everlasting life with him. So if you recognize that, if you understand that, would you pray with me even now? I'm gonna pray just a sample prayer, but I want you to pray from your heart to God's heart. I'm not praying anything I've memorized, not praying a magic spell or anything like that, but rather what the scriptures ask us to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So today, if you would do that in this moment, would you just pray as best as you know how and understand God, I come before you in this moment understanding the cross fresh and new. 
tell him your story. Maybe you have been in church your whole life. Maybe you got invited here by someone else and you would say, I do not know you, God. But God, today I understand that Jesus shed his blood for me so that I could be reunited with you, God, in a relationship so that my sins could be covered, and they are. So God, I believe that on my life are the words not guilty because of what Jesus did for me. I give you my life in this moment that I might have life to the full, everlasting life. God, show me what to do next. Show me how to walk with you every single day from here on out. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're sitting in an office somewhere or whatever it is, we want you to let us know. Here today, you can come and speak to one of our pastors or prayer team members at the end of the service. You can go to our help center out in the atrium there in front of the fountain and say, I just want to let somebody know. I prayed with the pastor. I prayed to my faith in Jesus. If you're watching online, or maybe someone invited you at work, would you talk to them about this? Perhaps you can pray together. But if you make a decision, would you let us know? And let us know right there on the Facebook stream. You can email us at info at westridge.com. Wherever you are in this country or this world, we want to help you take your next step. Father God, we close this service with one last prayer. And this day, all those years ago, the sky is still dark. But at three o'clock, as the trumpet blows and Passover lambs are being killed all over the city of Jerusalem, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world gave his last breath and finished the work. God, we thank you for justifying us, for redeeming us, for calling us righteous before a righteous God. May we walk in that victory every single day. Your victory given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.